0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I especially want to thank those of you who take the time to post reviews and share these episodes with friends and colleagues. really means a lot. You are in for a huge treat today. Michael Bungay-Stanier is the guy when it comes to coaching expertise, and his his best-selling book really just off the charts in terms of number of copies sold. And I'm just telling you, having spent time with them on this interview, the man is brilliant. We're going to talk about how organizations and how leaders can become more coach-like and how we can drive better results from our teams and kind of the big mistakes that people make when they're trying to coach others and how to really amplify the results that you can get. It's really just remarkable. And man, I took notes that like just never ended so it's amazing i'll recap this at the end of the episode but you're going to love my conversation with michael bungay stanier so michael welcome to the program i am so happy to be here and thank you for having me along i'm thrilled it's an absolute honor to have you here and before we dive into our discussion today can you share with our audience something maybe surprising that people might not know about you Well,
1: I mean, there's the fact that I am impossibly good looking, but I mean, unfortunately, this is just audio, so people aren't seeing that. But here's one thing that might be surprising for people. I have something called a cleft lip and palate. Um, And what that actually means is that when I was born, this may be a bit gruesome, but when I was born, I had a kind of hole in the front of my mouth and a hole at the top of my mouth. Um, which got, you know, repaired through surgery. But um, it means that I got a a slight speech impediment. I mean, I'm an Australian, so I've got an Australian accent, and I lived in England for a while, so I've got a kind of English accent, and I now live in Canada, so I've kind of got a Canadian accent. So I already have that as a speech impediment, my kind of confused accents. But I've also got a a bit of a speech impediment as well. And what might be interesting for people to know about that is you know, one of the ways that I make some money and I have a career is as a keynote speaker. And I just put that out there to say sometimes when you're in that position of going, "Ah, I don't know, I could never be an Ian Altman. I could never be a keynote speaker like that. Just to say that you don't have to be as eloquent as clean-spoken, as, clean as good-looking as Ian is, you can have other things about you that can actually make you different and make you more interesting. And for me, the Cleflin palette is one of those things that, you know, for some years I was a bit awkward about it, but now I think it's part of the, part of the mix of Michael Bungay-Stanier. Yeah,
0: it's, part, it's part, of the, part of the brand. And who is it? Right. Um, I remember the story of, I think it's James Earl Jones, as a child, stuttered. And right. had and and had a terrible problem stuttering, and now he's one of the most highly compensated voice artists in the world. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. And it's kind of kind of remarkable. So I, I always love when someone when anytime somebody presents a an obstacle, and they say, "Oh well, I have this thing going on, so I couldn't possibly do that." Right. I think to myself, "Well, actually." The people who overcome that tend to be incredibly successful, and obviously, your your reputation as a speaker, people say, "Oh my God, man, I got such amazing insight and such amazing insight from Michael." Wow, that was that was really uh, that was really incredible. And no one says, "Well, oh, and did you notice his hairstyle? Did you <laughs> notice? Did you notice his speech pattern? Like, it's just right. the exactly. content is so captivating that it works, which is." What we're going to dive into now. So you've been wildly successful um, with, with your book on coaching. And mm. so before we get into what people should be doing to be more effective at coaching, can you talk about some of the mistakes or missteps that people make when it comes to coaching their teams?
1: Yeah, Well, I think part of it, Ian, is is almost not a mistake they're making, but just some of the baggage that arrives with the word coaching. (laughs) Because there are some people, like you, like me, who go, look, coaching's fantastic. It's a great leadership technology to help you and your teams thrive and be more successful, be more focused, do more of the work that matters, do less of all that other stuff. But for lots of people, coaching feels like some weird Californian touchy feely thing or some, you know, dreaded HR initiative that they like coaching and now they're making us all do coaching and honestly for most people, most people are not going, I really want to be a coach. Most people are going, I'm just trying to be a successful manager and leader, have a good job, have a good career, be a good leader to my team, help them succeed, help myself succeed. So I think the starting point is to reframe what coaching is about, not as a kind of big, heavy obligation on top of what you're already doing. I think it's useful to reframe this to say, look, your job is to be more coach-like. And what more coach-like means is simple. It says, can you stay curious just a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit more slowly? Because it turns out, Ian, we are advice-giving maniacs. I mean, we love, we love to give people advice. You know, somebody starts talking to us. I mean, this is you know, happens in the sales cycle, it's everywhere. Somebody starts talking to us. We don't really know who they are. We don't really know what's going on. But within about twenty seconds, we're like, I think I need to tell you what to do. I've got some initial ideas about what, what what's required to solve this. So the biggest thing for me, Ian, is to go look. Stop making coaching an event. And realize that actually being more coach-like is shifting your behavior in the interactions you already have. You know, the current interactions online, in person, over the phone, with your team, with your colleagues, with your boss, with your vendors, with your customers, with your potential customers, all of these interactions can be a bit more coach-like, which means stay curious a little bit longer, rush to action and advice just a little bit slower
0: you know i love i love that and that whole notion of of being a little bit slower when it comes to action or advice and and i often use the term when we talk about sales of being curious or mm. even skeptical to a certain degree right. and people look at me with a with an odd look and one of, the, one of the things that I, that I quickly say to them is, look, the, the problem that most often happens is that the client says to you, well, you know, so I think I may have this issue. And the <laughs> salesperson jumps to, oh, here's our solution. Well, right. the client didn't say, look, I'm absolutely 100% certain this is the issue I have. And more often right. than not, even when they do say that, it's usually not exactly what they need. Oh, so, and,
1: and we should pick that up because I really I've, – I've got a strong point of view on that. Go ahead, please. Well, here's the thing. I think almost always the presenting challenge is never the real challenge, and I think we all get suckered. This is not just in sales. This is in everyday conversation, but it's also in sales. That 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 presenting challenge is not the real challenge. It's just the first challenge. It's just the first thing that gets said, and often it's a it's a guess. Sometimes it's a symptom of a bigger thing. Sometimes it's a smokescreen to avoid talking about the real thing. Sometimes it actually gets presented as a kind of half-baked solution to an inarticulated problem. And I think one of the great things that you can do in sales or just in the way you interact with the people you work with is to be skeptical. It's a good word about whatever the first thing they put on the table. And yeah. I've got a question for this. Sure. It's the um, the third question in the book, and uh, it's called the focus question. And I'll give it to you in its completeness because how you say it really matters. And the question is this, what's the real challenge here for you? Now, how that's written out, how that's said really matters because you could say, so what's the challenge here? And that's a classic sales question, a classic managerial question. But what you're going to get is a kind of top line, first thought executive summary, slightly abstract, slightly ill-defined answer. It's not bad, but that's it's only the start of the conversation. It gets better when you say what's the real challenge here? Because as soon as you say what's the real challenge you're saying, look there's more than there's more than one thing going on here obviously. If you had to kind of make a choice, if you had to prioritize, what would you say the real challenge was? And you can feel how that already becomes a deeper conversation. Uh, but if you add those two words at the end, what's the real challenge here for you? Now the spotlight swings from the 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 thing, the event, to the person who's responsible or worrying about the event. I love it. And that's when the conversation gets supercharged because if you're in in management or sales. You want to solve their problem for them, not an abstract problem that they can articulate for you and what's the real challenge here for you is a really fast way to deepen the conversation, stay curious longer. but it means that when you do move to selling them something or giving advice or helping them out like that, you're addressing the real challenge, not the first challenge
0: you know that's that's great one of the, one of the things that that we talk about when it comes to people on the sales side. Is look when so when if a client says to you, for example, if, let's say they were coming to you about coaching, and the client says, Well, you know, our, you know, the problem is that our team members just aren't performing that well. They're doing a lot of good work that we're, we're not doing great things mm-hmm. in the organization. You could take that at face value, or you can say, Well, so tell me a little bit more about it. And then you're going to get right. to a different level. And then you're going to say, Well, so, so in, in my world, it would be, So what happens if you don't solve that? Right, And that's where we start to find out, is there really something there or is this a superficial issue that people aren't really committed to solving?
1: Yeah, I love that because if there's no – yeah, if we don't solve this, there's a real problem, then there's not a real urgency or a real need to actually fix it. There's kind of like, hey, it's a kind of problem. Yeah, we should probably fix it. But I love that question. What happens if we don't solve this? Because it puts skin in the game.
0: Well, it's interesting. And then, and then the follow-up that we teach people to ask is once we get that information, we say, okay, so now compared to the other things on your plate, how important is it to solve this issue right now? Mm. And the reality is that if someone says, well, so what do you mean? So if you, had to, if you had to rank order it, where does this fall? And if it's not in the top two or three things, they're probably not going to do it.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it's, it's clear to me that – Um, You know, in the the context of the sales conversation, so often we think we're competing against the other vendors, but actually what you're most competing against is the status quo, (laughs) because it's like it is a pain to try and shift from what's already happening. Uh, It takes effort. It's going to disrupt things. It's going to take work. So you've got to find a way to make this feel important enough that they're willing to go through that to get to the better the better solution on the other side, and that's your key comp- competition. The the one the one question I would add to the to the these great ones that you're offering up here is. Um, in the book, we call, there's only seven questions in the coaching habit book because part of the, the design of this book was to say, what's the shortest book I could write that would be most useful for busy managers and busy leaders so that coaching feels like a, a, an accessible everyday action that they can take? And part of that was going, look, let me give you just seven great questions that can really shape things. Question number two in the book is we call it the best coaching question in, in the world. Might be a little bit of hyperbole, but I don't, not really. I really think it is the best question to have in your back pocket. And it's simply the question, and what else? Love it. Because their first answer to any question is never their only answer, and it's honestly rarely their best answer. So you can ask that question that Ian mentioned, what would happen if you don't solve it? And you're going to get an interesting answer from them. But Don't think that's their only answer. Go, great, and what else would happen if we didn't solve this? And what else would happen? And would anything else happen if we didn't solve this? And now you've got a much richer, much more complete understanding of what's going on, as do they. Because here's part of what you need to know, which is like as you ask that question and what else, they're saying stuff that they hadn't really articulated and really thought through themselves. So now they're going, holy cow, you know. In this context, man, we have to get this solved because there's a lot more going on here. And just that power of and what else, which – Which, you know, as an aside, the acronym is A-W-E, so or It's literally an awesome question, which I love. Um, It's a great way of kind of deepening the conversation. And it's a great self-management tool to help you stay curious a little longer because you'll feel that twitchiness. As soon as they go, so what happens if we don't solve this and they give you an answer, your advice monster will come out, your sales monster will come out, and you're like, okay, we've got to fix this. I've got an answer for you. And to, to manage that, to
0: stay curious longer, and what else can be really powerful. No, I, I love that. And right now we're talking – I mean the, the one thing that I want to make sure that our audience is picking up on is that we're talking about coaching. If you, if you take this mindset with your prospects and clients, then all of a sudden instead of us coaxing a sale, we're coaching a decision. And it means that we're actually curious with our prospects – and we're trying to find out is this is this a good fit where we can really help these people or not versus how do I convince this person to buy whatever it is I'm selling?
1: Yeah, I mean that's uh, a beautiful phrase.
0: They're coaching from rather than don't coax the sale. Love Instead, it. Instead, coach the decision. Brilliant. And yeah. and the idea is because then we're dealing with um, you know my 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 friend Mark Bowden who uh, you know Mark right. I'm, I'm the
1: godfather to his child, so, so I, I would I say really yes. Know Mark, yeah. <laughs> so I would say
0: yes. So um, so I, I was I was pretty sure, but I, I I didn't know I didn't know you know him that well. So so Mark was was on the program, and we talked about the the nonverbal communication and body language. And one of the things that Mark touched on was that look, if you actually. If if you come across – if your nonverbal communication looks like a salesperson then the client says, oh, wait, salesperson threat, let me be shut Mm -hmm. down and guarded. If you come across as somebody who is curious like their own team members, the body language cue says, oh, this is someone on our team. They are a trusted resource so I can be open and transparent with them. So for people who want their team members – To be open and transparent and their prospects to be open and transparent, the coaching metaphor is way more powerful than that stereotypical salesperson that causes people to shut down.
1: Yeah, and you know to to link that to neuroscience. So in the book we talk about this simple uh, model around neuroscience, the Terra model T E R A. Yep. Mark may have mentioned that because we because he knows about it well. You know the basic science is five, five times a second, unconsciously the brain is going, is it safe here or is it dangerous? Risk or reward, safe or dangerous. It's back and forth, scanning the environment all the time. If it feels under threat, if this feels like a place of danger, a place of risk, you get that amygdala hijack. You know, you're in fight or flight mode or I think Mark would say fight, flight or faint, you know, so you're (laughs) assuming everything's awful. You're you're, you're assuming it's me versus you. You're kind of all the blood is trying to figure out how to survive. Um, If it feels safe if it feels like a place of reward, then you get the best of the person. You know, their their prefrontal cortex is fully engaged. They're seeing the nuances. They're assuming positive intent. And so understanding how to make an environment feel safe, whether it is in a sales conversation or an ongoing management conversation, really powerful. And Terra, the T-E-R-A, the four factors that drive this, tribiness, expectation, rank, and autonomy. So tribe, the brain is basically going, are you with me or against me? Expectation, do I know what's about to happen or not? Rank, are you more or less important than me? And autonomy, are you making all the decisions or do I have some say in this or not? Here's the basic insight. Asking a question almost always raises the terror quotient. Because now it's us trying to solve this together. Now I've given you high rank, high status because I'm saying you can figure this out. I'm giving you autonomy because I'm letting you answer the question. You take the first stab at it. Um, You may lower the expectation a little bit, but you do raise the overall terror quotient. Giving somebody the answer, giving them advice, lowers the terror quotient. I'm better than you. I have higher rank than you. I have the answer. So you don't have autonomy. I've made the decision. It's not it's not tribe anymore. It's me kind of versus you, because I'm higher, you know, I'm more important than you. So that piece around curiosity, absolutely backed up by Mark's nonverbal stuff. And you know, yeah. those that haven't heard of Mark before, truthplane.com is his website and it's fantastic. But um absolutely that coaching approach is a way of driving engagement at a brain level at the neuroscience level.
0: Yeah, it's it's really by the way, I'm I'm taking copious notes here because there are certain principles that I teach and having not been aware of this terra model and this and this terra quotient before, there are things that I teach and I say to people, look, I I can't tell you scientifically why this works. But I can tell you that it works, and now I can say, well, you know, it's, it's all because of the terrible so, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound way – well, not way. I'm going to sound marginally smarter than people thought I was before <laughs> because now I've got this information. <laughs> that's perfect. And so, so that's, um, that's helpful. Now, uh, I, w- I want to talk briefly about this notion of uh, – I believe that leaders and sales managers especially – their number one job is as a coach and mentor to their teams. So the notion of I'm going to take my top-performing salesperson and make them a manager is not necessarily a great formula. But instead, mm. I, have to, I have to get that person who can more effectively coach their teams to atri- achieve great performance. So where, where am I missing the mark there?
1: Well, I'm not sure you are. I mean, there's is, there's that ongoing tension that's been around as long as organizations have, which is you, know, you keep promoting people to their level of incompetence. So you're like, oh, you're really good at this. Let me give you a new role. Oh, you're good at that as well. Let me give you a new role. Uh, you're not very good at this, so we're not going to promote you. So you just now you're, you're at that level of incompetence. And you know I think that's one of the nuances to be thinking about as you manage a team, which is, okay, this person's fantastic at – you know, whatever the task, whatever the responsibility may be, does it help to make them a manager so that they move into more of a teaching mode? Or are we better off just having them actually being an individual contributor and delivering what they're so great at? Yep. But I do think that once you get into management and leadership, the way I think about it, Ian, is I go, your job is to be a teacher. You're, you, The power of being a teacher is that you are adding to the, the people's Confidence and competence and capacity and autonomy in the work that you do. And in doing that, that serves them. But honestly, it serves you as well, right? The more smart, confident, capable people who feel like they can operate on their own with your support you you have on your team, the better for everybody. But the thing to realize is that if you're being a teacher, you need to know how people learn. And people do not learn when you tell them stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's depressing, (laughs) but it is true. Kind of goes in one ear and rapidly goes out the other ear. And actually, people don't even learn when they do stuff. I mean, they do a little bit, but mostly they don't. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. And you could see that as being one of your jobs as being a manager and a leader, which is to create the space for people to learn from their experiences. So question number seven in the book, the learning question, as it's so called, uh, you can use this at the end of um, a meeting with a customer, a client, a team member, your boss. You know, you can do it by in person, over the phone, IM, email, whatever. It doesn't matter what channel you use, but at the end of an interaction, Rather than rushing off to the next thing, just take a moment and go, look, just before we go, let me ask you, what was most useful or most valuable here for you? And here's what's going to happen. The first is it forces them to, to stop and reflect and extract the value from the conversation because honestly you may have thought this was a conversation of genius they're on the other side going i have no idea what this is all about right <laughs> and by going what was most useful or most valuable you're actually saying to them you do the work for me find tell me what was most useful and valuable tell yourself what was most useful and valuable the second thing that happens in is that you get feedback So you actually figure out what what you're doing that's working and maybe what you're doing that's not working so well. So you get to fine-tune your approach to these conversations. And then thirdly, and this is a more subtle benefit, because you're not asking, was this useful, but you're asking what was most useful and most valuable, you're framing every interaction with you as a useful, valuable interaction, which means that when they reflect on what it's like to work with you Or interact with you or engage with you, it always feels useful and valuable because you keep framing that and they keep seeing the value in what they've just had and just talked about with you. So all of this is a long answer to your piece around is your most important role to be a coach and a mentor? I think it's to be a teacher and I think coaching and mentoring are two of the processes that allow you to do that. I think the other one is a willingness to delegate You know, I uh, got to hang out with Alan Mulally the other day, who's the former CEO of Ford, came in to save Ford when they're $17 billion in debt, first non-Ford family member to actually lead the company. And what was so intriguing about hearing him talk about his management style was he was like, look, my job is to, to lead through delegation and facilitation. And his discipline was to just almost never give the answer. You know, it's like even when I had the answer, even when I knew what the thing was to say, my job was to resist saying that as long as I could so that they got to figure that out themselves. Yeah. So, all of this feeding into your point, going, I don't think you missed it at all. I'm right on board with you around that.
0: By the way, I've, I often joke with people where I say, uh, you know, people say, oh, well, you're great at coaching people. I said, you know, I, I really don't think so. And they say, well, why do you say that? I said, well, because. I will give you one or two shots at coming up with the answer, and then I lose patience and I say, okay, here's the answer. Yes. And, and I know that the best coaches will ask these amazing questions that get you to eventually go, oh, it's this, isn't it? And, and candidly, the, the coaches that I think are you know world-class and the best, if I had no clue what the answer was, they could coach me to find the answer. On my own. And of course, when I say it, I believe it. And if someone else says it, then I'm skeptical. And I think that's a that's a big difference. That is.
1: I mean, yeah, you always the the answer you come up with yourself is an answer you're far, far more likely to act upon. But I'll just I mean, I I will say this, Ian. One of the things that sometimes comes with, you know, the, the, the myth of coaching is that you should only ask a question, you should never give advice, you should never give solutions. And I don't really buy into that. I think there's sometimes people just don't know what they don't know. And that your job as a manager and leader is to provide that content, that information, that idea for them. That's why I say, can you stay curious a little bit longer and rush to action and advice just a little bit slower? I'm not saying never give advice, never move to action. I'm just saying just a little bit slower, please. Yeah. And, um, one of the habits that people – I can offer to people, it's almost a script, which will help. Um, and you know, the first chapter of the book is actually about here's how you build habits because it kind of lays a foundation to say, look, what, why I wrote this book is I want you to behave differently. Sure. And giving you a whole bunch of content is not as sufficient to make you behave differently. You've got to understand the science of habit building, and that's the first chapter of the book. So here's a habit. Here's a script that people can use that that may kind of answer both both things going on here. Somebody comes into your office or pings you an email and they say, hey, Michael, how do I blah, blah, blah. And as soon as somebody says that, that makes you twitch. Right. Because you're like, oh, They've asked for my advice. I get to offer my advice. I get to tell them my solution. I get to be the wise, smart person in the room. Fantastic. Your advice monster comes out of the dark (laughs) and it's alive and well. But then you go, man, just heard this awesome podcast with Ian and Michael. So I'm going to try and resist that. (laughs) So here's how you resist. It's a script. You can write this down word for word. You go, hey, great question. And you know what? I've got some ideas which I'll definitely share with you. But before I give you my first thoughts, let me ask you, what's your first idea on how you tackle this? And then whatever they say, basically nod your head, look interested, look encouraging. And then when they finish explaining the first thing they do, you go, that's great. I love it. That's a real possibility. What else? What else could you do? You see, I'm using that best coaching question in the world. Nod your head. You know, this is marvelous. What else could you do? Fantastic. Is there anything else you could do? And what you're looking for is to, A, get them talking first, because, you know, if you're the boss, you've got to know as soon as you offer up your idea, it sucks the oxygen out of the room. So you've got to resist giving it as long as possible. But then when you do, if you do want to give advice, because sometimes you're like, they figured this out, you don't need my thoughts on this. But if you're really going, I've got to give them the thing they haven't thought of yet, the phrase you use is, great, I love everything you've got and that last idea – and here's the phrase, that makes me think of, and then you get to share your idea. Cool. So you get to build on what they've already come with. So in all of this, you're making them do the work. I mean, our three principles of coaching, Ian, be lazy, be curious, be often. And be lazy, of course, is a bit provocative, but you can see how the way we've been talking about this, you're getting them to do the work first. So you're getting them to come up with their ideas. You've got their back, so you're not going to send them away without a good idea if they don't get there, but you're resisting giving them as long as possible. And then when you do give it, you give it in a way that builds on what's already come before so it doesn't entirely suck the oxygen out of the conversation.
0: That's absolutely brilliant, and I'm going to end it there because – there is nothing else that needs to be said. So, so Michael, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more? Of course, I'm going to have links to The Coaching Habit, um, a fantastic book and everybody listening, I mean, there there's a reason this book has had such amazing success and um rarely will I tell you you have to get this book, but guess what? You have to get this book. So, <laughs> you, Michael, Ian. what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So look, if you're curious about the book, I mean, it's obviously on Amazon and places, but there's a website, thecoachinghabit.com, lots of videos, downloads, resources that you can jump onto there. Uh, If you're curious, what we do as a company at Box of Crayons is practical coaching skills for busy managers and leaders. And that's at boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on what part of the world you live in.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I learned a lot and My audience knows I will recap this whole thing for you, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. It was awesome, Ian. Thanks. Man, there was just so much wisdom that Michael dropped on us. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply in your business. And, man, it's going to be tough to keep it to 30 seconds here. First, to be more coach-like, you want to be curious longer and resist your temptation to offer suggestions. You want to make sure that you're providing better input and guidance and less of kind of the remedial coaching or directing people on how to do things. I love the different questions. He shared a few of them, of the seven that are in his book, that idea of what's the real challenge here for you and the number one best coaching question and what else, which is an awesome question. And finally, that whole idea of What was the most useful or valuable thing that you learned in our discussion? The script that he provides of when someone comes to you and says, how do I do this of I've got ideas first, what's your first idea? Telling people that whole notion that there's more to it and what else and what else and what else. And then if you've got to give a suggestion, you say, you know, that last idea made me think of this just absolutely brilliant. Remember, this show gets direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. And thanks again for taking the time to post those great reviews. It really helps. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace. Even your customer.